Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. It's an extra special day here since we just celebrated our fifth anniversary yesterday. Yes, the Wealth DNA Radio Show has been airing continuously for five years now. We appreciate your and each of our listeners' support and feedback for the last five years. We look forward to you and many more listeners letting us know that you're now millionaires due to the ideas, advice, emphasis on fund- fundamentals, and all the stuff we do here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show. In several of those cases to date where we've gotten that information, our, our listeners' financial success has been due to letting us know that they work with and have helped their portfolios by working with our sponsors. So we certainly have to thank our sponsors who have helped defray the cost of putting the many shows together. And, of course, those listeners that are now millionaires. Several times in the past, I've mentioned that investors are optimists by nature. And I'm certainly no exception. And that's a lead-in to a mea culpa, to let you know that all of my predictions will not come true, even though a few may. Several weeks ago, I said that we'd likely see no more 100-degree days in Phoenix during 2015. Not only was I wrong, but we're facing about 10 such days right now. I guess I should stick with investing, which also means I'll stay out of the debate about global warming. Last month, we talked about bonds, and I'm sure you noticed my concern for the future of the bond market. Now, I'm not predicting that bonds will collapse in value over the next few years, although I see a decline as far more likely scenario than a continuation of the bull market we've seen in bonds for the last 35 years. Now, if you disagree with me, you probably believe we're heading into a deflationary period, either in the U.S. or globally. Certainly, there are many indications that a deflationary scenario is possible, and we can't rule it out. Besides, we don't have helicopter bent around to scatter bags of $100 bills to circumvent it. But our purpose here is not to debate the future, to provide you some alternatives if you consider uh, these scenarios as likely and if you share my concerns. So during this show, we'll talk about some alternatives, and more specifically, we'll be talking about understanding alternative investments. That includes a broad range of investments uh, that your financial advisor might not have even suggested today. In planning who we should have as our guest, we wanted to bring on someone who not only has experience with alternative investments, but also wanted to bring the person who wrote the book on the topic, namely Stephen Todd Walker who will join us very shortly. Now, let me remind you, if you don't gain some new knowledge during this hour, we have a 200% money-back guarantee. Yes, we'll refund double what you paid to listen. Now, admittedly, I'm confident I won't pay out any refunds at the end of the show, since we have a topic that's important to all current and future investors. It's also very timely. Now, regardless of where you are in the world, whether you're tuned into the live show or listening to the archive, I'm confident you'll be glad you joined us. And whether you're new to investing, have decades experience, you're retired, you're working, you're wealthy, or you lost all of your investments during the Great Recession, you should get a pad and pen or your electronic device to take some notes. Now, if you're driving, Use a recorder as I do, or go back and take notes as you re-listen from the archive. We have a tradition of using a quote to set the stage for the topic, and today I chose one that would be a good transition from our last show. You ready? One day we will have more inflation and our bonds will bleed like a pig. The only reason for buying long bonds is short-term or as a desperate haven for terrorized investors. 
but the potential to make a longer-term real money is not. Let me just repeat that since that's a very complicated, but there you'll, you'll sense also a little bit of a British tone there. One day we will have more inflation and our bonds will bleed like a pig. The only reason for buying long bonds is short-term or as a desperate haven for terrorized investors. But the potential to make longer-term real money is not. Quote is from Jeremy Grantham. He's a British investor and chief investment strategist at a major asset management firm based in Boston. Today is Monday, September 28, 2015. It is 9.05 a.m. in Arizona, 12.05 p.m. on the U.S. East Coast, where our guest is, and 18.05 in continental Europe. Today is the only day ever like it. We'll do everything possible to make it a great one. Now you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday, 9 a.m., in Arizona. Now, I certainly hope you join us each time we air, but if you miss some shows like the ones we did on a few alternative investments in the past, or you want to re-listen, you can find them in the archive. Just go to wealthdna.us where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, if you have a problem finding a show, feel free to contact me, ron at wealthdna.us. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, which also knows a thing or two about the alternative investments that we'll be covering today. The U.S. equity markets, which are down more than 99%, not 99%, since the last record high in May, are off to a very negative start. Asia was mixed, with uh, Japan down. I think uh, China was up. Europe was uh, closed, uh, just closed, and that was down somewhere around 2%, depending on the market, and Brazil is down also substantially. If you followed my subtle tip several months ago to take profits, you're probably thankful and wondering if it's time to jump back in. Well, personally, I never make drastic moves by either buying or selling everything, and I'll share that I have been buying on the way down, despite this S&P 500 sell signal and confirmation. But I have a big advantage that most other investors don't. I have a large percentage of my portfolio in alternative investments and none in bonds. So remember, I'm not allowed to tell you where the market's heading next, but I will share some occasional pearls of wisdom. Now, the advantage of joining us for the live show, you get to ask questions or make comments. There is a chat window below the radio player, or you can call in, but if you're listening to the archive, don't try those. They won't work. Our guest for understanding alternative investments is Stephen Todd Walker. He's the senior vice president, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management, author of Understanding Alternative Investment. He works with executives at large publicly traded companies as well as privately held companies. Stephen also advises family offices and other institutional investors. And by the way, RBC's clients include Forbes 400 members as well as some of the most affluent families around the world. Stephen could have gone to school anywhere, but he chose to get his MBA in finance from Temple University's Fox School of Business and Management. Now, our listeners in the Philadelphia area probably know why I mentioned that phrase. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Stephen Todd Walker. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you for joining us and sharing some information on how alternatives can help our portfolio. And uh, their first time on the show, so welcome. Hi, Ron. Thank you for having me on the show. And, and also, congratulations on reaching the uh, the five-year mark. Yeah. Big, I, I, you know, sometimes at the very beginning, I wonder if it was it was worth all the time. But it really has been. It has been a lot of fun. And it's gone pretty quickly, as you know, in, in, in this business. When you're enjoying yourself, time goes quickly. Now, I saw an interview of yours with one of my one of our um, guests, Professor uh, David Nanigan. It's always a tough one to pronounce. American College. So in addition to living in the Philadelphia area for 11 years, it sounds like we have some common friends. Yes, David is a uh, terrific uh, professor, and I, I know him quite well, and uh, have been on the uh, involved with the American College uh, a number of times. Good program, and we always enjoy having them on the show as well. Always uh, experts in a lot of different fields. You're in the wealth management profession, which is obviously demanding on your time. You also work with a lot of charities. How did you find the time to write a book, and actually two books? Uh, and when were these uh, books published? Well, uh, to answer that question, I guess uh, uh, the answer is I, I drink uh, a lot of coffee. But, um, <laughs> uh, separate from that, uh, I work very hard and uh, keep keep late hours. Uh, the first uh, book was uh, Wave Theory for Alternative Investments. That was published back in 2010, 
And more recently, my I guess you could say my new book is Understanding Alternative Investments. It's kind of uh, got a long title, but Understanding Alternative Investments, Creating Diversified Portfolios that Ride the Wave of Investment Success. Uh, that was published at the end of uh, last year, 2014. Okay, very very recent. That's what caught my attention. I wasn't aware of the first book initially, but uh, obviously understanding alternative investments uh, caught my interest and said I got to get uh, this guy on here. I mean, this is a, this is a topic especially very timely. So, uh, uh, but let's take a look at really both books. Uh, what was your key motivation for writing those books? Again, you know, it's not because you had a lot of time available. Were a lot of your clients averse to alternative investments? Were they just not aware of the benefits? I mean, what were the main drivers? Uh, sure, uh, I had. Sort of an unusual background. I've worked uh, many, many years with alternative investments. You hear people today, and it sounds like everyone is an expert in alternative investments. But uh, my background stems all the way back to 25, roughly 25 years ago, when I studied alternative investments and I worked with uh, clients selecting alternative investments in a variety of areas. Uh, alternative investments were very much uh, people didn't understand them. They didn't know about them at all until recently, I would say probably six or seven years ago, they became more visible. But 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago, they were pretty pretty unheard of. For my clients, which are both institutional and individual, many clients asked me, how would I, how would I construct or build a um, portfolio uh, based on what I have. And mm-hmm. so I helped uh, many, many families, individuals, institutions uh, selecting uh, alternative investments and, and creating a good diversified portfolio. The first book, uh, Wave Theory, I noticed that uh, there were certain patterns, trends, cycles that were repetitive over time. And I'm not talking about an hour or a day or a week. I'm talking about many years ago. You mentioned earlier the Great Recession. Uh, That was really due to real estate, and the real estate Mm -hmm. market collapsed. That since then uh, has come roaring back uh, over the last six, six, seven years. Um, These cycles happen over long periods of time. I noticed them uh, with particularly with various alternative investments like real estate. And so I gathered information over essentially two decades, and I put it together in my first book called Wave Theory for Alternative Investments, which was primarily for hedge funds, commodities, and venture capital. I then found, due to the Great Recession and how the market changed, how banks changed, how alternative investments changed, I felt it would be helpful to have or write a a second book on really understanding how the market evolved with alternative investments and how to go about selecting good ones and how to add them to uh, an existing portfolio. And the second book, Understanding Alternative Investments, is a little broader. It covers areas like managed futures or hedge funds, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, real estate, and covers a number of areas. Okay. And, you know, it's it's funny. I was just uh, seeing a chat here from one of our listeners asking about why the heck the, down is, the Dow is down so much and, you know, could it keep going down? But it's great to have you talking about cycles just at that point because, you know, we've seen we've seen the equity markets basically heading almost straight up, a little bit of, of wiggles uh, for the last six years. And uh, so this is what, what makes our show particularly timely. Uh, there are cycles, there are waves, as, as, as you use the term, and, uh, you know, the stock market is no different, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about alternative investments, because uh, while something is zigging, this is the technical term we use, the uh, while something's zigging, something else is zagging. So uh, good good timing, and I just thought it was appropriate to uh, to bring up that chat while we're at it. And, you know, one of the things is the fourth commandment of investing, which, by the way, we haven't covered on this show yet, is remember, markets have cycles. It sounds like you've spent a lot of time focusing on those uh, those waves and, and various investment classes uh, in, in preparing these uh, books. Uh, you know, it sounds like you did a lot of research. Am I right? I did a ton of research, and it was over many, many, many years. And I found it fascinating because if you you look back over time, uh, history does, to an extent, repeat itself. If you look back 
um, back at, say, 2000, 2001, 2002, when the mm-hmm. equity market corrected uh, roughly, let's say, 51%. Uh, mm-hmm. You had a lot of Kmart went out of business. You had 9-11. You had a lot of horrific events happen, and the equity market plunged. One of the best areas back then uh, was real estate. Real estate did quite well. And then real estate went out of favor, as an example, back with the uh, Great Recession years later. And then since then, it's coming back in vogue. So you you can see uh, these cycles happen again and again and again uh, over long periods of time. Even uh, real estate, if one looks, uh, there was a quote I found uh, back in uh, about Miami where there were 30,000 realtors and how uh, a person went out, investor bought a house, flipped it a year later, and then leveraged himself, bought two other houses. Mm-hmm. The real estate market changed, and he lost all his money. And one would say, well, yeah, that's the, that's the Great Recession. But actually, the article was dated all the way back to 19, I think it was 23 or 24. Oh. <laughs> so, so if that gives you an idea, you see these patterns, trends, and cycles, which I've, I've documented, I've put in, in my book, both books. Yeah, no, that's and and I think that that research is a key piece of it. But you know what? I get so fascinated. Let's let's before we dig into more specifics, let's share with our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about you, about RBC Wealth Management, and of course about your uh, your book or books, I should say. Well, you uh, I you can find uh, information on my book, uh, Understanding Alternative Investments. It's it's easy to do. It's it's the title, which is. Simply one word, understandingalternativeinvestments.com. There's all sorts of good information on there that you can see, Mm -hmm. and uh, if you're so inclined to to buy the book. Uh, The other website is uh, simply my name, which is uh, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Todd, T-O-D-D, Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R, dot com. So either of those websites, they have a lot of good information uh, they have some of the talks that I've given at uh, various schools, American College, Wharton, Penn State. Uh, it has uh, some articles. Uh, I was published in the uh, Journal of Financial Planning uh, on an article with Managed Futures. There's a number of um, really good uh, information that's on there for, for free that one can look at. Okay. And um, how about on RBC? A, a good way to find out more. Are there links then from the books as well back to RBC uh, Wealth Management? Well, that's that's uh, that's separate. Uh, any, anything with the bank is separate from the books. So. Okay. Now, our last show, I happen to mention uh, something I don't think I had mentioned before, that what we consider mainstream investments today were, were, you know, 100 years ago were really only used by the rich and for some speculators. And what were back then mainstream, uh, like real estate, investing in small businesses, are now considered an, uh, alternative investments. Do you agree this kind of terminology has been changing over time? It, it has. Uh, you know, one, we not sticking with the, the well actually sticking with the real estate example a uh, mm-hmm. big difference there you can certainly buy uh, affluent people can buy hotels back then they can buy hotels today however the big difference is you have the REIT market which has grown uh, many 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 times over and offers not just domestic REITs but REITs in Asia REITs in Europe global REITs that whole market has has grown substantially. Uh, you can buy hotel REITs, you can buy office uh, REITs. Uh, you can get lots of diversification with something that's publicly traded and also offers income, and as low as whatever a thousand dollars or less. Okay, and. You mentioned a couple in there, but uh, let's just make sure our listeners caught those. And when we use the term alternative investments, uh, what do you consider mainstream? Is it the stocks and bonds, which uh, most people think of? And then what are some alternative investments? What, are, what What's included? And obviously a lot of asset classes, but what are a few of them? Sure. I I view it as, as sort of three legs to a stool. You have your stocks, you have your bonds, and then you have this Third area, which is which is quite large, uh, mm-hmm. people can view alternative investments very broadly, and they do today. You could uh, have stamp collecting or wine, or uh, the, the definition is very very broad. I I 
tend to view uh, or look at alternative investments for the main categories. There are six, uh, you would say, six uh, primary categories that are out okay. there. Um, I could list those. It would be uh, yeah, hedge funds. Be. Sure, sure. Um, hedge funds would be one. Uh, managed futures would be one. The real estate that we talked about. Um, venture capital would be a, another one. Right. Um, leveraged uh, buyout would be another category. Um, commodities would be the uh, sixth uh, category. So those are those are the six primary ones that I, I believe are, are the central ones. Okay, very good. Now, I, I often mention on this show that investors, uh, especially advisors, try to overcomplicate uh, investing. There are really fundamentally two ways to invest. You can either loan or you can own, and the rest is just a matter of picking which investments uh, of each of those types you want. And, and given the risk I see at this stage of the 35-year bull market in bonds, can we start out with the loan or the fixed, uh, fixed income investments uh, as, as our first part of the topic? Well, sure. Uh, the the fixed income uh, category is very broad, as you know. It could be uh, CDs, it could be uh, municipal bonds, uh, treasuries, any anything inco- income oriented. Global bonds. Uh, the spectrum is very uh, broad. Um, equities. Uh, it used to be a style chart where you have uh, equities where investors focused on large cap growth large cap value, mid cap growth, mid cap value, small cap growth, small cap value. And then you have the alternative space where there are like if you if you uh, view the world as you just described it in those two areas, there are growth uh, oriented alternative investments and um, some that are uh, income oriented. So you, you could view it that way. Okay. And uh, before we uh, continue, let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. Great company to also help you diversify your portfolio. Now, if you missed some of the prior shows, including the prior shows on alternative investments, or you want to re-listen, we maintain an archive of shows on WealthDNA.us. If you didn't get an email reminder of the shows, have trouble finding those past shows, send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events as well. Now, a reminder, during the show, we welcome you to ask questions, make comments. Easiest to start a chat in the chat window, and we've been doing a little bit of that today. Uh, or you can call in 917-388-4162. That number is also at the top of the Internet screen. Our topic today is Understanding Alternative Investments, and our guest is Stephen Todd Walker. He's Senior VP and Financial Advisor at RBC Wealth Management and author of Understanding Alternative Investments. His clients include Forbes 400 members as well as some of the most affluent families around the world, and I hope you belong to one of those. Uh, Stephen, let's continue on this topic of, of kind of getting regular income, and, and let's talk a little bit more about some of the alternative investments that somebody could consider if they are worried about bonds, as I am. Uh, you know, traditional in, uh, investment advisors might say uh, high-dividend stocks, master-limited partnerships, and, and REITs would be uh, good ways to do that. Are those ones you also uh, believe in? Well, from from if if one is looking for a liquid uh, type of alternative investment mm-hmm. that they need income, uh, as opposed and every investor is different. You might have, um, you know, an accredited investor or an investor that is just putting ten thousand dollars in something to to get uh, income. Uh, REITs, like we mentioned earlier, offer provide income. Uh, another one might be uh, uh, BDCs, uh, which stands for Business Development Corps. Uh, some buy those for income. Uh, REITs, preferred MLPs, uh, the energy area. Uh, those are people can view those as alternative investment. On one hand, you could have a, a index or an ETF or a mutual fund. On another hand, you could have a private uh, partnership that one invests in for uh, oil or energy companies. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how about on the, on the side of um, 
you know, kind of the the true alternative investment space, where uh, whether it's accredited or not, uh, are there are there some investments that are not kind of traded on the exchanges that are particularly good at income, uh, and and again, it may not be as as liquid as some of the others, but uh, are there some good alternative investments out there that are kind of considered more the income versus the return focused? Uh, you know, it varies, but uh, yes, to answer your question, uh, you'd have to look uh, case by case and, and what the fund manager is doing or what they're what they're trying to achieve. You can have, uh, I mentioned REITs, you have public REITs, you also can have private REITs. Mm-hmm. So uh, different strokes for different folks. Okay. And a lot of your client base is institutional investors, as I mentioned earlier, and I assume they don't have that same need for income as, as many individual investors. Is that correct? Well, that's that's true. It depends on the investor, what their goals and objective uh, goals and objectives are. If you have an institution where they don't have a finite uh, time period, it goes on, and uh, that that might be more growth uh, oriented or long term investing. For example, if, if an institution or an individual invests in a VC fund or a leveraged buyout fund, those private funds typically are long-term investments. They're more growth-oriented, uh, and they can go out eight, nine, ten years where you're, you're illiquid. So uh, th- those would be more growth-oriented. Some could also view it that uh, when they start paying off dividends, that's a way of getting income. But you really have to look at it as a long-term investment and, and primarily, primarily growth because there's no guarantee that you will get those dividends or that it will be successful. You bet. And again, we've had some shows on angel capital and venture capital, and the, you know, if you looked at pure successes of the uh, of the companies, it looks like a low percentage. But of course, the net return tends to be fairly substantial. So it's uh, you really have to have a diversified portfolio. So I'll just kind of interject that, uh, so we don't uh, somebody doesn't run off and say, let me go invest in one venture capital thing, and that'll eventually give me income. That uh, <laughs> it's not necessarily a good move. But let's move kind of back to the fundamentals. When I consider any new investment or a new asset class, I always look at four kind of key factors, and I'll even put them in the sequence I usually think of when first is safety, second liquidity, third returns, and fourthly taxes. And a lot of people forget about number four. But I, I want to cover them out of order because most investors – uh, returns is the first one they think of, and they forget about the others until you know they really start thinking about what's important to them. But tell us a little bit about the historic return of stocks and bonds and alternative investments. And I like that three-legged stool example. You know how would how would the historical returns compare on those? Sure. Um, now I, this is from you know my research, uh, my first book. Uh, just to clarify, was a, was looking at ten years of data where where I okay. compared alternatives to stocks and bonds. My second book, however, the one that uh, came out at the end of last year, that is over a twenty year uh, time period. It's hard to sometimes hard to collect that data. But to answer your question, over let's. Let's use the data that's in the book that's over a 20-year time horizon, which is a fairly long okay. time to, sure to look at. So if we could, we could look at that. Uh, starting in uh, 1993 uh, up until the end of, let's say, 2012, uh, the S&P – uh, returned the S&P 500 returned an average of 9.8 percent. Okay. By way of comparison, over that tw- same same 20-year time horizon, uh, bonds bonds were a lot less. They were 6.28 percent. Okay, but it's still pretty uh, substantial for the bond market. Yes. Uh, well, bonds have their good years and their bad years. 1994, right. for example, remember when interest rates went up, uh, yep. they lost, to, on average, uh, 2.92%. But then the following year, 1995, bonds had a rally. They did quite well. So, so you have good years and bad years, as well as the equity market. Um, to further compare, this is a, the same 20-year time period, again, 1993 to end of 2012, the NARI, uh composite, that, that's the real estate uh, index, right. that averaged uh, 12.57%. Wow. 
so um, venture capital was even higher. Uh, the venture capital, this is using the Cambridge uh, index, which is, which is accepted and, and has very good data in, in my view. That average was 25.12%. Wow. Uh, the private equity, this is Cambridge. Cambridge divides theirs between venture capital and private equity, uh, was 16.46%. Wow. Uh, managed futures, which tend to do well when markets go down, uh, and they have their up years and down years, that averaged uh, over that same time period, by way of comparison, 4.21%. Hmm. Okay, that surprises me. Again, maybe I guess because overall it was a pretty good period. Uh, obviously, a couple of good drops in each of those uh, sectors. But so at least, and, and, and we accomplished what I wanted to do, which is that we got some of our listeners' attention because, some, again, some of them will just tune out. Hey, if I'm getting, uh, you know, I'm averaging six percent, I don't want to hear about anything earning less than six percent, uh, even though if there are good reasons. So I think we accomplished that. Um, but you know, one of your central themes in in this is oh scenario is that these alternative investments like traditional or, or mainstream investments move in waves. So can you explain what that might mean during that 20-year period? Sure. Um, as, I, as I mentioned before, you had um, uh, uh, real estate, and I think that was pretty clear with the waves, but you yep. can also have waves with um, other alternative investments, for example, uh, commodities. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, in my in my first book, I charted uh, gold waves just as an example, mm -hmm. as an illustration over the last you know five five decades, and I showed these waves that occurred at the time my book came out. Gold was extremely popular. This was in 2010. Uh, mm -hmm. I was asked to be on lots of TV and radio shows, and gold was the was what everyone talked about. Right. Uh, it then, as you know, corrected and went out of favor and Don't came back me. down again. <laughs> I had a reporter ask me and tell me, actually not ask me, but tell me, and I can't mention the name, but a well-known sure. well known, well -known <laughs> reporter for a very well-known newspaper uh, told me that gold would keep going up and go way above 2,000 to 2,500. And that was her sentiment. And she felt that gold was different. Uh, the market expanded. And I said, well, if you look, history sometimes repeats itself with commodities. And she said, well, when did gold ever go up four or 500 percent? And this was back in 2010. And I said, mm -hmm. well, back in the, in the 70s, it went sure. up four or 500 percent and then corrected. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, uh, that reminds me, I should probably send her a copy of my book, but gold did, <laughs> gold, gold did correct. So, oh, yeah, it peaked about one year later, 2000. Exactly. I'll give, you, I'll give you another example okay. how, how uh, you see these cycles and patterns and trends. And if you get in at the wrong time, you know, an investor can have their heads handed to them if they're not paying attention. They go in and invest in gold at the all-time over eight or nine years, uh, another example would be the tech bubble that burst all the mm -hmm. way back in 2000. If you remember in 1999, in 1998, 97, technology was all the rave. People were investing, and there were lots of new companies. There was a new technology IPO going public uh, almost every day of, uh, of the week right. uh, back then. And then technology corrected the NASDAQ. Okay, the NASDAQ, which was heavily uh, tech-oriented uh, back then, corrected uh, something like 80%. It was above 5,000 and dropped about 80% over that time period, and technology got crushed. There were, I guess, 800 technology companies oh, yeah. that went bankrupt. Totally. And some of those same types of companies that uh, were uh, popular then went out of business uh, have now come back uh, like nothing ever happened years later. And earlier this year, as a matter of fact, 15 years later, NASDAQ went and reached a new high and broke right. through that. But that took 15 years. Yep. 
No, and, and you know, if somebody were writing down some of those peak years, and I was kind of trying to do that in my mind, I should have been writing them down as well. But a couple of things kind of stand out. Almost every one of those categories had different peak years. So in 2011, when the, when the uh, real estate, let's say the residential real estate market was really in the in the tanks uh, and and bottoming a second time, you were talking Ron, about gold peaking. Ron, excuse yes. me. You've got a caller, a caller that would like to speak to you and your guest. Okay. Tell me when All you're right, ready. We... He's on the line right now. You can just speak to him if you like. Okay. Go right ahead. Hey, do you remember back in '86 what happened with uh, BBC Bank and uh, or BCC Bank that, in in England? Who was that? Milken. Uh, was that with? Uh, well, Milken, of course, was with the with the junk bonds, uh, but I don't remember BBC specifically. But go ahead. What's your what's your no, point on that? No, BCC, BCC oh, Bank. Okay, all right. Yeah, two billion dollars lost. Sure, sure. Two billion dollars was lost <laughs> in two days. That's terrible. Yeah, Over the weekend. Yeah, so having all your money and all of the, and that was really the the point. These di- different things have happened at different times. By having your diversification between these and having a little bit in each of these places, you're not going to get killed. So if you have all of your money in you know in one place, or you you know in junk bonds, or with uh, a particular bank or a particular investment, you did pretty poorly. But if yours are scattered around, uh, and, and I, I like the the example uh, Stephen just used, which is on uh, the uh, uh, technology crash and and yet venture capital and private equity up very substantially even uh you know just 12 years later so it 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 evens out there is kind of a longer term things get evened out as long as you didn't lose everything in one of those investment classes and and Stephen that would seem to be more important than just the returns we're hearing as 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 you know kind of the average over these years well, I, yeah, I, I agree. You need, you need to have a diversified portfolio if you're talking about putting all your eggs in one basket, particularly, um, I think the caller mentioned one specific bank, mm-hmm. um, and you're investing in high-yield bonds of, of a particular bank, uh, that would be uh, extremely risky. You want to have a diversified portfolio where you have some stocks, bonds, uh, and alternative investments, depending on one's objectives. One always needs to do their homework. They need to look at what they're buying, whether it's bonds or stocks or, or alternative investments, as opposed to just investing uh, blindly. Okay. Got another question. Sure, go ahead. Recently, I've been hearing about the uh, savings account or some sort of account that uh, IRS can't touch when you put money into it. What is that called? The seven oh two something? Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not I'm not familiar with that one, are you Stephen? Uh I, I am not. No, I'm sorry, a couple of, on that one. Cup couple of presidents that invested in it and uh it's something that, that stays there and, and grow. You can take your money out at any time you want. So you never heard of that thing? No, I have not. So I will put it on a list of things to check out. But if it is that exotic and nobody's heard of it, I would be careful. <laughs> no, that would be my first reaction. No, the guy had said uh, that uh, uh, that's where the banks put their money into uh, because IRS can't uh, go into that account uh, according to something to do with the law. Uh, okay, I, I I, again, we will check on that true. for a future show. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Thanks okay, lot. hey, appreciate it. Appreciate the comments. Um, but again, so many so many people look at the you know the headline return and they don't look at these these uh, waves and the fact that you know this diversification helps. But let's take the Great Recession and of course one of our one of our uh, chat messages here is on the Dow is down and what the heck is happening? Could it keep going further down? What were some of those investments that did well during the Great Recession? Repeat, you mentioned a few, but you also mentioned that uh, managed futures tend to do well during uh, during down periods, even though their overall return hasn't been spectacular. Uh, what what are the kinds of things that are uh, in vogue or, or could do well when uh, you know the stock market or or their stressful periods like the Great Recession? What are some of those that historically did pretty well? Sure. Uh, well, if you're looking at uh, you mentioned the Great Recession, uh, one other uh, 
uh, area of alternative investments that has done well over time. Uh, when you look at it uh, in the aggregate, is the, is the hedge fund area. So the same, uh, looking at that same example before with stocks and bonds and some of the other alternatives, hedge funds, this is from 1993 to 2012, they averaged 10.39%. Uh-huh. So their returns were, were pretty compelling. Did they lose money uh, in, the, in the Great uh, Recession? Yes. Uh, they lost uh, roughly, this is on average, uh, 19.02%. However, stocks lost uh, 36.58%, and that's looking at the S&P 500. If one looked at foreign indexes or other indexes, they lost substantially more, and specific countries lost even more. So hedge funds ended up losing a lot less, and part of that is because they can short or be protective uh, on the downside. So they actually lost a lot less. They came back with the market as well and have done well o- over time. So over 20 years, they averaged about 10.39%. Managed futures uh, actually had a positive return. So while a bonds got clobbered back in the Great Recession, stocks got annihilated, a number of areas got uh, absolutely decimated, uh, the managed futures area was up, uh, this is the uh, Barclays CTA, was up about 14.09% for the year with a positive return. So, and that has happened uh, a number of times. If you look back in uh, 2000, 2001, and 2002, when the stock market uh, back in, in the tech bubble got clobbered, the managed futures had a 7.86% return. 0.84% return, and believe it or not, in 2002, a 12.36% return. Same year, 2002, equities, by way of comparison, lost roughly 22%. It was 21.97%. Managed okay. futures did 12.36%. Yeah. You know, you've covered some great examples of, of what I want to accomplish where people are saying, oh my God, the Dow is down. If you're only invested in stocks, those are major concerns. But when you have a diversified portfolio, and some of these times you might be perfectly happy that those are now all of a sudden doing well, and you thought you, were, you should get rid of them, but uh, now they're starting to accomplish the purpose. So, you know, perfect perfect examples to, to accomplish what, you know, in today's time, everybody's worried about the stock market peaking, the bond market peaking, uh, you know, what do I do? But let me let me remind our listeners, especially those that do just tuned in, you're listening to the Valthania Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed earlier part of the show, you can re-listen right from the archive or even from the link that we sent you earlier. WealthDNA.us is where we find the archives. Today our guest is Stephen Todd Walker. Our topic is Understanding Alternative Investments. Let's try that again. Understanding Alternative Investments. And our guest wrote the book on that topic. Now, Stephen, uh, I want to jump back to a couple of those factors I talked about, and specifically safety, which should be the first one, or, or safety. I use, also view it as the lack of risk. Tell us about the risks of alternative investments. The risk for alternative investments has, uh, in my view, uh, increased quite a bit. So one needs to really uh, perform a lot of due diligence uh, or have help in selecting suitable ones and when to add them is also important, what types you're adding. The risk since the Great uh, Recession uh, have have increased. Uh, There are some variables that, uh, for example, a lot of um, banks merged uh, over that uh, time period from the Great Recession when banks were getting acquired and merging uh, uh, for example, Wells Fargo and Wachovia or mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan and Bear Stearns and Merrill Lynch and Bank of America. And a lot of uh, platforms changed. And one needs to, in my view, do a lot of homework. Uh, you can find good investments out there, but it, in my view, has gotten um, harder to find them. Uh, there is, of course, risk. Uh, you're familiar with Bernie uh, Madoff with his sure. Um, you know, it was marketed as a hedge fund. It wasn't even really a hedge fund, but uh, with the collapse of that and all the investors uh, losing money, you have uh, you know a manager risk who's who's running the fund, 
such as the, the example of Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff, sure. Exactly. Um, there are um, uh, there's timing risk when someone is investing. Uh, are they investing at an all-time high? Is gold at the all-time high? Uh, there are risks uh, today that even stem out to um, you know political or governmental uh, risk where there are changes. Uh, for example, you could have an embargo or uh, look at the effects with uh, oil, for example, uh, changes in prices that affects commodities. Commodities are an alternative investment. One needs to be aware of uh, what is going on in the environment uh, to, to help uh, manage risk. How those uh, securities are selected, how they're added to a portfolio, are they liquid, are they illiquid? Um, an investor needs to, of course, examine their risk tolerance, how much risk are they willing to incur to add these alternative investments. Uh, one, of course, needs to look at their income needs, their age. There are a lot of variables that one needs to examine today. So risk uh, should be looked at and uh, uh, proper, uh, uh, as I say, uh, one should always do their homework and sort of a look before before you leap. Okay, I, good good uh, good listen. I like that when you you mention risk is going up, and then you immediately mention some examples of why that risk is going up. Because obviously, I was ready to jump on that question. So perfect. One of the things you talk about, and, and and you talked a little bit about the management risk and those kinds of things, but you also mentioned hidden risk versus transparent risk. Can you define that for us? Sure. Uh, well, one one very good example of a hidden risk I said was with uh, with the Bernie uh, Madoff with uh, with the uh, you could call it either theft or uh, or a manager risk. Uh, risk can even stem out to if a manager you hire a manager and they have certain uh, objectives that the fund has and then they switch gears and do something entirely different. Uh, there's a risk there. Um, transparent risk, uh, I had talked more before about hidden risks and some of the newer risks. The transparent risks are um, more uh, like liquidity, uh, tax considerations, uh, valuation, fees and expenses. Uh, the, the fund is speculative. Uh, is it transparent? Uh, what are the benchmarks that you're comparing that particular fund or, or alternative investment to? Uh, another transparent risk, which will be laid out if it is a private, illiquid alternative investment, are lockup mm-hmm. periods. How long uh, are your funds locked up for? We had talked about venture capital okay. earlier. That, that Some funds can tie you up seven, eight, nine, ten years. So there's a lockup risk. That's transparent. That will be spelled out. Um, performance is always always, always a risk. Uh, and I would say the last area of a transparent risk would be uh, leverage. How much leverage is the fund good, using? Good, good point. Okay, so yeah, no, a great, great list of them. I'm, I'm taking notes on that stuff. So, so those are generally going to be disclosed, and as you call them, that are therefore transfer. They're, they're risks, but at least you know you're aware of them ahead of time. It's those hidden risks, I guess, that are the tough ones, and that's where your your key advice uh, I'll, I'll emphasize in having help in selecting. Uh, is pretty critical because we are dealing with a little bit more complex sector. But it's kind of like, all, I guess I could say there's an analogy of picking stocks. It's easy to pick stocks. It's just picking up stocks well is, is the difficult part, <laughs> picking the right stocks, right? Exactly. Uh, more and more ETFs seem to be introduced each each month almost. Uh, are, are there some ETFs which can give us access to alternative investments uh, which might make it easier to uh, to therefore invest in some of these? Sure. The uh, the ETF uh, universe uh, has expanded dramatically. I remember I uh, attended an event uh, back, I think it was 2009, and there were maybe 50, 70 participants. And then a number of years later, I, I, t- and t- I, I was a speaker, and um, I think there were something like 1,500 or 2,000 attendees. It just mushroomed. And the choices, like you said, the ETFs, it seems like almost every day there's a new ETF. There are uh, literally hundreds of ETFs. Many of those, of course, are equity or fixed income, but there are quite a few uh, in in the area, like, say, um, uh, where you can get uh, some exposure to 
energy, for example, some of the ETFs are, are very broad. You can invest in uranium, uh, silver, uh, gold. Uh, there are real estate ETFs. There are ETFs even catered towards uh, private equity. So they're not exactly the same as alternative investments. There, there are pros and cons to, to those. Um, one of the pros is that they're, they're liquid, and uh, another one is you can get uh, similar or some exposure to an area of alternative investment. For example, oil. Uh, that's just an example. There are, I think, about four or five different oil or energy ETFs one can select. Uh, they make different ones these days. That can help uh, an investor uh, and even a longer-term investor that might be looking at doing something uh, in the short term. ETFs are a good vehicle for that. So uh, they do have their uh, pluses, and there are many, many, many uh, that have been added, so an investor can can um, build a, a better diversified portfolio. Okay, and uh, let's let's look at the flip side. What are some of my advantages of uh, you know d- the direct investment in alternative investments versus these ETFs? Obviously, as you said, you get some exposure through the ETF. So I'm assuming at least one of the advantages of uh, you know the direct investment is you're going to be uh, Getting getting more of the return that you're looking for and uh, kind of a direct exposure as opposed to kind of watered down through an ETF, correct? Sure, uh, absolutely. And um, an advantage of that is that you will uh, most likely know that manager, uh, and after doing proper due diligence, know them quite well. Uh, you will have uh, made a decision on how much to invest in that in that investment, how it uh, correlates or fits into the rest of your portfolio. And those uh, direct investments tend to be with experts in, in a certain area, whether it's a hedge fund or what have you, where one could um, get a very top-notch manager that has good uh, returns. So that that is is very different from an ETF where um, it's a number of stocks are put in to, to sort of uh, get some exposure, like you said, to sort of a watered-down version. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I assume when we talk alternative investments, we are talking fully international scope. They're, they're all over the place, and uh, whether I want to involve, invest in the London market or the U.S. market or uh, I want to have exposure to um, um, Something in Africa, I assume. I, you know, they're, they're, this, they're all over the place. Uh, absolutely. Um, years ago, it, it wasn't. The, the U.S. Is, is is the leader with alternative investments and has been for many years. And there, but there are uh, areas around the globe uh, that are newer uh, to this area where there are some very attractive opportunities. Uh, that one can look at, but it's truly a, a global uh, game. Uh, you have Europe, you have Asia, and you have all sorts of alternative investments that are available today that five or six years ago, they simply weren't available. You couldn't do it. There weren't any structures in place. Mm. Um, you know, that's that's the good news. I guess the bad news is if if one invests abroad in a direct alternative investment one will really need to do their homework. Uh, they will have to do right. a, a lot of due diligence uh, because yeah, there are any time you're in a new a new area, let alone um, in different areas depending where you are. Uh, the regulation is different. Uh, how are those investments monitored? Uh, that will then play into one's uh, risk, and one needs to be very careful when when going abroad like that. Okay. Let me th- throw a couple of real quick questions at you, and and I'm expecting one of the answers, uh, uh, but uh, let me let me go ahead and put these at you, to you. One of them is I hear very often that uh, if I sold my stocks now, where the heck would I put my money? Uh, there's nothing good to invest in out there. Bonds are bad and that kind of stuff. What do you say to those investors? Well, I I agree with what you said earlier in the in the call, and that not to make any um, huge. Uh, you know, erratic changes where one goes out and, you know, sells everything, uh, that, that one needs to be careful about doing that because, uh, if, if there's a dramatic change, 
there are no guarantees on on any investing, uh, including if that one even bought you know municipal bond. There's no no guarantee, and making changes uh, should um, be gradual. Uh, one can always dip their toe into the swimming pool, so to speak, with alternative investments, mm-hmm. where they try something, and then there's always time or room to add to it or further diversify. But I always feel it's a good idea to just take one step at a time and not make too many dramatic changes. Okay. Let me, let me throw one of the listeners' uh, questions here. It's a little fairly specific. But let's say they had $100,000 they wanted to put in each this month and then another 100000 next month and another 100000 so fairly substantial amounts. Uh, but then they'd like to be able to get each of those out, let's say, six months later so that uh, they've got kind of a year horizon and they're kind of laddering this uh, movement into, uh, into an investment. What would your uh, answer be for them? Well, that... Again, there one would need to get more information from that particular investor. What you're mentioning is a sort of a dollar cost averaging where they're investing you know a hundred thousand dollars per month you know over time. I don't know how long that would be, but things need to be um, uh, evaluated such as what is the person's age, the safety right. the, the you know, if and if you what you're saying is they need liquidity uh, every six months, well, that would rule out a number of you know direct uh, longer-term alternative investments, uh, they might consider, well, you would need to know their income needs as well, uh, their risk tolerance, but depending on what they um, they want, you know, one could look at uh, REITs, one could look at uh, BDCs, MLPs, you know, there are a number, number of things that they could look at, but that would be uh, over time and would also have to be carefully matched with the rest of their portfolio. What does the rest of their portfolio look like? How many stocks do they have? How many bonds do they have to form a very good portfolio? Uh, Like I said before, there are three legs to a stool. What would you be adding and when you would be adding them? That needs to be carefully considered. Okay, good answer. Uh, and I, that one I did expect a little bit, because obviously it is very, very difficult not knowing that uh, investors. Now, I'm obviously keeping a little bit longer than I had planned to, but let's, uh, before I ask you my final question here, uh, let's remind listeners uh, of the um, websites where they can learn more about your books. First one was your name, correct? Yes, uh, Stephen Todd Walker. It's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Todd, T-O-D-D, Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R. Uh, .com. The other one is uh, for my new book, which is one word, understandingalternativeinvestments.com. That is another way uh, where there's a lot of good information on both those sites, stephentodwalker.com or understandingalternativeinvestments.com. Another way uh, to reach me uh, uh, through others would be uh, info uh, at stephentodwalker.com. Okay, excellent. And uh, you know, you've been uh, you've been very good about that stuff. We've covered a lot of aspects of alternative investments and understanding them. Are there some key ones you'd like to emphasize or maybe add that we didn't get a chance to cover because obviously it is a broad range and we can't cover everything in one show, but are there some things you'd want to either emphasize or add? Well, uh, yes, there's a, a couple. I think it's important to uh, to really look at whether what you're investing in is it is it suitable, is it going to help your portfolio. One needs to certainly evaluate the risk, like we talked about, and like I've said, you need to do your homework, uh, look before you leap. Uh, one's goals and objectives. What what is it that you want to accomplish with the portfolio? Is it income? Is it growth? Is it a combination? What's your time horizon? Um, all of these need to be considered, and I think it's it, you, you have to be um, uh, do your homework when it comes to alternative investments. Alternative investments are not risk free; they do carry risk. And if one looks at it, does their homework, their due diligence, there are attractive risk return. Uh, um, rates, but but one needs to really examine that carefully. Uh, alternative investments move in waves. There might be better times to invest than others, and I would say that uh, taking your time and looking, one can always add, like we talked about, and that that will help make 
uh, in my view, a better portfolio, one where you have a better diversified portfolio with stocks, bonds, and alternative investments. Ah, I was going to add to that point. You beat me to it. You're absolutely right. Uh, that's the thing. If you're 100% in any one of those three, uh, then you are in trouble sooner or later. So um, that that is a, I, probably one of the key points I would want to add or emphasize. Uh, Stephen, um, I'm certainly hoping you'll accept a future invitation to have you come back, talk about maybe some of the specific alternatives and topics covered uh, in your book. You've got a wealth of knowledge. You've got great uh, tips, and I think your your knowledge of these cycles and when they go up and down and which things might be in favor when others are, are dropping out uh, would be something we'd want to get you back on. And I'm hoping you'd accept that uh, invitation in the future. I would, uh, absolutely. And, and likewise, if you're back visiting, I know that you were in Philadelphia for a time, yep. and if you come back, I'll buy you a cheesesteak. All right. Oh, excellent. There you go. I haven't had one of those in a while. Actually, the Strombolis was the other thing I always look forward to when I go back there. That's something they can't find too many other places. So either one or both, let's plan to do that. Really appreciate having you on, and and, uh, thanks for for joining us and taking all of this time with us. Thank, Thank you for having me on the show. All right. In the way of summary, again, I will mention this three-legged stool. I like that analogy. And if you have all of your money in bonds, or you have all of your money in stocks, or, of course, if you have all of your money in just all, you know, a group of uh, narrow group of alternative investments, you could be in trouble sooner or later. Now, after hearing all of this good information, these insights today, you might be wondering, should I read this book? Should I go out and buy Understanding Alternative Investments? And the full title is Understanding Alternatives, Alternative Investments, Creating Diversified Portfolios That Ride the Wave of Investment Success. And, and that point of creating diversified portfolios is a, a key portion of it that obviously we just emphasized. To help answer that question, let me share one of the reader comments about his book. This is a must-read if you want to learn about the world of alternative investments. So whether you simply want to better diversify your portfolio or you're curious why I don't worry about stock market crashes, or even declines, or rises or declines in oil prices, or deflation, or some other black swan event, then it just may make sense to better understand alternative investments. And uh, I'd also add that uh, with the question that we had from one of our listeners on these six-month, I mean, there are particular investments I like, but with a six-month horizon, it's very hard to do almost anything uh, other than very liquid investments because of the... uh, Uh, ability to get that money out in six months. The problem is your returns are almost unpredictable. If you put all of that money into stocks, of course, they could be lower in six months. Um, If you put all of that money into a uh, diversified portfolio, uh, getting it out in six months could be difficult because some of them are a little bit less liquid. Um, So anyway, I do welcome your comments and uh, questions on various asset and alternative investment classes, uh, any of the asset classes within alternative investments is where I was trying to go that you'd like us to cover. Send an email to ron at wealthdna.us, and we will also look into that question from our listener on the 702 funds, which I'm not familiar with. And hopefully the quote from Jeremy Grantham, the chief investment strategist at a uh, major asset management firm, got your intention. One day we will have more inflation and our bonds will bleed like a pig. The only reason for buying long bonds is short-term or as a desperate haven for terrorized investors. I love that part. But the potential to make longer-term real money is not. And hopefully that quote helped you understand why I'm concerned about the bond market, encourage you and all our listeners to look at alternatives. Now, regular listeners of the Wealth DNA Radio Show know that uh, our objective is to help a million people become millionaires, and I'm confident some of the information we discussed today will be extremely helpful in your journey to become one of those millionaires. And remember, one of the best ways to increase your wealth, tune into the show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, some great ideas, some insights related to topics no one else tells you about. Many thanks to BI Solutions Corp. for sponsoring today's show. They're a residential real estate fund in the uh, Phoenix, Scottsdale area, and they've helped many of our listeners, including me, with alternatives to the bond market especially. The next uh, Wealth DNA Radio Show is the second Monday of October, and that's October 12th and uh, 9 a.m. Arizona. Same place, same time, hopefully. Now, the reason I say hopefully, October is that month when countries start changing their clocks back to standard time. I can assure you, we will air at 9 a.m. just like today, but if you change your clocks, the time you listen will change. 
We'll be talking about investing locally using crowdfunding. And our guest will be Marshall Sanders. He's the managing partner of Saunders Daily, an online investment marketplace. I, I plan to be back for that show. I hope you will, too. As usual, we provide the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. And as I mentioned, if you have some comments, suggestions, or questions on today's topic, or others you'd want us to cover, or if you haven't received emails reminding you about this show, if you have trouble finding a show on the site, any number of reasons, send an email to ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing, including alternative investments. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BGW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus